Welcome back to the Dr. Supercoach podcast. You're on once again with Cheezo. It's the end of round four. We've had some ups and downs. Luckily, I've got one beast of a Supercoach player on with me tonight. It is JB Champion. How are you? Oh, mate, I'm absolutely buzzing. I've just finished watching Game of Thrones. Have you seen it, Cheezo? Can you stop talking about it? You know <laughs> I'm waiting till Friday. Okay, okay, fine. Uh, in terms of Supercoach, not so good this week, Cheezo. A bit of a lower score for myself. A little bit of a lower score across a lot of the top teams. Um, I think the, the, the winner this week... Uh, only put up 2,400 or 2,470 or something like that, which is, um, I, I guess, not exactly a huge score compared to the ones that have uh, been winning in recent weeks. A lot of our premiums just underperforming, JB. Oh, a lot of them. If you had any Geelong premiums, then see you later to your rank. Yeah, they. Uh, I was, I'm a little bit interested to know how many Matty DeBoer's GWS have because it seems like they had 14 tags going on at once and they were all on our stars. <laughs> It's, he tagged Tim Kelly in the first half, held him to about 18 to half time, and then switched to danger, held him to about 17 in the second half. But like the thing is, Tim Kelly never got going after half time after being tagged for the whole match until then. And Dangerfield just couldn't, for some reason, shake a tag in which you know he's been good at in the past. And then you got Metagola, who you might as well have been tagged, and you know might as well have been tagged by Dowhouse, who also scored poorly. And it was just a. Not a great game for super coaches. We saw some strange top scorers in those games. I'm wondering if Matty DeBoer sent a little tech message to um, his old mate from Freo, Ryan Crowley, and said, what's the best way to get under superstar skins? Because it, during his time, everyone that was getting tagged by him wanted him to punch him. And so far, two out of two weeks, a superstar of the AFL has tried to punch Matty DeBoer or, or ended up punching someone. So uh, maybe there's something to that, JB. I think we should be worried. It's gotten to a point where if I saw Matty DePore out in the general public, I'd probably have a crack at him as well. And Especially if you had the captaincy on danger after you're missing someone earlier on in the week. Hey, mate, uh, another thing that I should talk about, um, Plunk had his debut last week to 2,500 listeners, mate. How'd you pull up after that? Uh, I mean, I'm very filthy at the fact that I was... Let down by yourself, Chizo. No, no <laughs> podcast with you. I was looking forward to it all week. I texted my mum, made sure she was tuning in for it. <laughs> and then I'll rock up and to my not so much delight, I see Plunk sitting in the studio. And <laughs> look, he, he was okay for a debutant, but it was more of like a, uh, how do I put it? It was, it was a Burgess debut, not, not a Sydney <laughs> Stack debut. It was a, a Sam Collins debut. Yes, it was. So maybe in weeks two, three, four, he comes out with a a mid-80s average. That's what we're looking at. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you'd hope so. Yeah, I'm doubtful. He did feature on his first podcast. And we're coming up to almost uh, episode 150, JB. It's getting exciting. But something something that we did cross during the week was the uh, 400,000 plays mark. We don't usually keep on top of our uh, statistics at all. But just glancing across that, that's... um, Built up quickly over over time, JB. I think in our, our first year entirely, we had like sixty or sixty five thousand listens. So it's uh, it's going up year on year. So that's been fantastic. Uh, another thing that has been uh, building slowly as the year progresses is the Patreon, JB. We've got two new um, two new patrons, three new patrons um, that have signed up um, this week. We've got Tim Naylor, uh, Naylor Luke Trawan, and Alex Rossiter has just signed up. Uh, in the last few minutes, JB. So great to have those guys on board. And Liam George is the sole donator for the uh, Donate for Dumb Things that we've got going in 2019. 
Adam Trelaw, another sub ton, uh, has to put in uh, another donation there. He could be uh, really running that that spendings account dry there, JB, the way that Trelaw's going in 2019. Yeah, he's had a strange start, hasn't he? He's getting a lot of the ball, but mostly uncontested stuff and with you know a couple of injuries in that Magpies midfield and you know Chris Main, who usually runs on the outside as well, maybe Trelaw will have to play on a sort of wing role and... Not an ideal start, but uh, just in regards to my donation, Chizo, I do not have to do one for Jack Steele, who did get his uh, more than five tackles. I, I assume you caught that, but I said any time he goes five or under on the tackle count, I'll be donating to the Cancer Council. He can't said pick that, that. He averages 10 per game in his bloody career. Five that's... and under. That's that's incredible. <laughs> Including five as well. So if he does well, get five, is that then that's per quarter? Number. If he goes less than five and a quarter, he you'll only donate. had seven for this game. So he <laughs> only just got over the line by two. But that's like saying I'm going to donate every time Danger goes sub fifty in Supercoach. Well, my prediction. Well, he almost did that as well this week. So if, if we're talking about that, but uh, I did, I did actually lose a bet during the week as well. So, but we'll talk about that more. On the next podcast, I'll make my donation uh, during the week, and yeah, I'm sure you guys will enjoy reading that out. Unfortunately, the Blues didn't get up for you. Uh, we should touch on State of Origin <laughs> as well. Um, Dr. Supercoach occupying four of the top six spots on total points, so should be leading the pack still. Uh, coming back to the pack a little bit, and uh, you know, you, you shouldn't kick a man when he's down, but um, so we've put the Bance with Fance, you know, hashtag away a little bit, but he's actually. Absolutely smashing it, JB. We're all kind of in the top two or three k, or top five k there. Um, so everyone's doing um, really well, uh, well, and and fans, uh, you know, bouncing back from 2018 that he and I both had. So that, that's great to see. And we should touch on some uh, match review officer news, JB. Will Setterfield offered a two match ban for a dangerous tackle on Will Powell. Um, it was pretty well executed. I think he's just unlucky to get concussed. Do you think there, JB? Yeah, I mean, we've never been more of an outcome-based league, and you can see that now. Um, Dusty Martin only getting a one-match ban after he pleaded uh, to the MRO officer, uh, went to that judicial thing that they do when they challenge the actual initial ban, got it down to one match, and somehow Setterfield has been given two for a tackle that... It looked fine. Both I don't think both arms were pinned. I might have to rewatch it, but it looked like just one was pinned and the other one just didn't get there soon enough to brace. And then obviously with the concussion, it, it's just a two-match penalty automatically. And if it was a little bit wrong, I think uh, I think Setters will do good to uh, challenge that during the week, I think. Well, I think uh, I think you mentioned before that uh, the AFL players are three from three in challenging bands so far this year, getting them downgraded. Yeah, I can't actually remember off the top of my head, but Dusty obviously being one of them. Uh, yeah, so they seem to have decent success. Maybe that says more about the MRO or says more about the players uh, actually arguing it well. I'm not sure. We should to, uh, we will touch on a little bit later on what we think uh, in regards to Will Setterfield and our teams. Paddy Dangerfield escaped suspension. will pay $2,000 for striking tag at Matt DeBoer, getting under his skin. Probably uh, worth it, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think at any stage we were worried he would get a week. Um, the only... You know, lingering thought in the back of the mind is that they give him a week to try and set an example. But um, I think the, the the right thing has won out there. But they, they've been hot on the off season about we're going to get things off the ball completely out of our game. Any tummy punches, any hits, anything like that, where you're just going to get a blanket week. But the protected species, uh, plural, these kind of players seem to get away with it. But um, as you say, outcome based, like 
if Will Setterfield does something in play and concusses something, he gets two weeks, whereas if you try and strike someone with malice off the ball but nothing really occurs, you don't get any weeks. So, um, mm. you know, if Paddy Dangerfield, um, just a, you know, Dusty Martin had actually caused some um, more decent injuries, he would have got more weeks because it's about the outcome yeah. and not the purpose of the action, as we it's now not know. Great. Um, but that's fine. Um, yeah. It, we're all confused. I think that's the, the point we're trying to make. Uh, we'll get into the games before we get too philosophical. Uh, <laughs> Thursday night game, I'm still getting used to saying it's on Thursday. Sydney being overcome by Melbourne, who get off the mark with their first win of the year, JB. Max Gorn with 113, just kind of uh, slowly building into the year. He's not putting up those big 150s that we kind of expected. Uh, and Priest didn't really impact him too much as uh, uh, he still put up a, a nice score for us. And I think the most important stat to look at here is Gorn still played 91% time on ground. So uh, if he wasn't resting uh, forward, he was resting back, uh, not in defense per se, but Priest was taking a lot of those forward 50 stoppages. And then when the ball was kicked out, Gorn was that tall marking target, and he did well. I think uh, three or four of his five marks for the game uh, were actually in that last quarter, uh, all in set marks He yeah, and 55 hit outs. He did everything he needed to. If he just got that disposal efficiency up higher than 52%, which uncharacteristically had 16 kicks to just three handballs for a ruckman there, uh, we would have seen him score another 130-plus. So I think this is just another day in the life of Max Gorn. Yeah, and the the hit-out discrepancy, 55 hit-outs to Max Gorn, 13 to Braden Proust, and 5 to Tom McDonald. So um, not really sharing the load, just maybe a chop-out at a a few stoppages um, Mm. not really impacting. It's not like a half-and-half that we're seeing with a few other... Um, you know, Ruckman combinations in the competition. And if we contrast that to Sydney, only nine hitouts to Callum Sinclair, only four to Sam Reid. It was a total domination, but it just really uh, kind of didn't um, work in his favour in terms of hitouts to advantage, as the, the, the Swans midfield did make it quite difficult uh, for uh, the likes of Clayton Oliver. Um, and their other inside midfielders and, and Angus Brayshaw to really make use of that domination in the Ruck. Yeah, and with those two, a couple of lowly scores, 89 and 87 respectively for Brayshaw and Oliver. Uh, I think you can look straight to the disposal efficiency again on this one, 68% and 57% uh, for Brayshaw and Oliver. They still got enough of the ball. Brayshaw had, I mean, Brayshaw had 19 touches, played actually a lot forward. He's probably the more concerning one. But Clayton Oliver got 30-plus disposals again, uh, seven marks, a couple of tackles as well. Eight clangers, though, and only one of them was from a free kick. So I think on any other day, pretty much, we would have seen Clayton Oliver score a decent 110-plus. And you know, as we said last week, he put up a 95 with three free kicks against to none received. So it looks like he's trying to get these decent tons, but he's just falling short with one thing or another. I think it's only a matter of time before he strings it together, and those who didn't start with him are going to be getting him a bit cheaper. Yeah, it was a frustrating game for Clayton Oliver owners because he's had 33 touches, seven marks, two tackles, 20 contested possessions and seven clearances and only you know, puts up 87. So that, mm. that, that, that clangor and disposal efficiency count, you're absolutely right. Uh, Jake Lloyd just keeps, keeps being Jake Lloyd at 109. We don't really have to mention him too much. He's just chugging along probably. Uh, he's getting a little bit of a benefit um, with Jared McC- uh, McVeigh being out. Do you think there, JB? He's, uh, you know, he's the sole kind of... Um, get out option that the Sydney Swans look for. Now they don't have that experience in the back line. He's just the the seagull that can be relied on. 
Yeah, and seagull's the word. I think uh, up on fan footy here that we're looking at, we see that seagull emblem next to his name after every single game because uh, although he's not a contested player, he's a clean player and, and uses the ball so well out of that defensive 50. And if he didn't have an untidy final quarter, he would have had another score of 130-plus. So I think we said last week it'd be something drastic would have to happen for him to score less than 120. And something drastic did happen in this game. He did not hit a target pretty much in that last quarter. So yeah. I kicked a couple of clangers and you know, otherwise we would be seeing more of the same. It was certainly frustrating. Something that is also frustrating to owners that traded him out, Isaac Heaney, another 130, just repaying the faith. He was absolutely everywhere on Thursday, JB. It's just every time you see him get the ball, you just kind of give yourself a cheeky smile that you've, you, you're stuck with him and he's just destroying the coaches that you know jumped ship. Yeah, and a lot of people were saying last week, you know, he's playing Carlton. They got a big win, uh, well, a win at the very least. It didn't end up blowing out in the end, but uh, kicked a, a bag full of goals. And, you know, what will he do against these other oppositions? Well, they lost this one. He only kicked one goal and he scored 130 Supercoach points. So not seeing a lot of those people arguing the same point this week. Yeah, it certainly helped that he went at 91% disposal efficiency, being an inside player leading the uh, the, the Swans for contested possessions. Uh, that's not something you usually see. So uh, hopefully not an outlier, but it just continues the run that Sydney Swans are no good at the SCG. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Uh, it's almost a disadvantage for them, I think. I mean, I myself uh, tip Melbourne going into this one just for that fact alone. It's it's barely a home, court, a home ground advantage. Yeah. Uh, Marty Hoare... A late sort of inclusion for the Demons. I'm going to put my hand up here, JB, and say that at no point did I really think about fielding him. I was just like, oh, this is great. He's going to be on the bubble next time he gets a game, so he's actually going to be increasing in price. Little did I know that he was perfectly capable of being on my field and outscoring a couple of the rookies that I had back there. And um, it, you know, but defence rookies and forward rookies this week it certainly cost me the chance of having a, a twenty three hundred plus score because I left a lot of a lot of players uh, a lot of points on the bench I should say. Yeah, and this is an interesting talking point for the week because a lot of people didn't start Marty Hall or uh, conversely, a lot of people actually traded him out after he was dropped uh, after round one. Now that they've got a win, although he was just a late inclusion, so his job security obviously isn't. It still uh, sucks, doesn't amazing. it? Amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, 86 Supercoach points. Um, we might be looking to trade him in this week, Jizo. Yeah, we'll have to look at teams, but um, I think I'd be looking not for a fielding position. I think that if you're light on cash and you're looking to do, um, you know, perhaps you have someone in the back line that's um, just burning a hole in your pocket, not really doing anything, I- I'd consider that. He is in 42% of teams, so there's a considerable amount of the competition that do have him, but um, we will talk about that a little bit more on the... Thursday lockout podcast. The next game on Friday, Collingwood and the Western Bulldogs. This is much closer than I thought it would be. I thought Collingwood would just run away with it, but they're just playing possession football for a lot of it, and you know, not trying to hurt the other uh, the other team. They're just trying to stop um, that overlap run that both teams are capable of from happening. And so it was just kind of like a dogged, um, contested, uh, you <laughs> dogged. know, yeah, just a, a grimy kind of game. Yeah, it really was, and I, th- I tell you what, there was a lot of people complaining uh, around the place, but I actually enjoyed it. I love the contested games, and as you can see down the line, both teams had a lot of players get double-digit contested disposals, and I'm not sure how many would even come close to some sort of record, but it just felt like that sort of game or game, and with the 666 rule being implemented this year, a lot of people thought this aspect of the game was going to die down. 
Yeah. Um, but I guess the, the counter point to that is when you notice that um, your opposition is strength is going to be heightened by this, that they're going to try and, um, you know, react in the opposite direction and try and shut it down even more. So when you've got two run and gun teams uh, in this way that you kind of have um, a game like this, Brody Grundy, 160, perfect VC option on the Friday night. Uh, did you jump on this one, JB? Yeah, I did catch the 160. We'll talk about this on the uh, the Thursday podcast last week. Just saying, uh, although Bulldogs seem to limit up opposition rucks, it's just not the same with Brody Grundy. And as we saw, 58 hitouts to Bulldogs' entirety of six <laughs> uh, pretty, much, pretty much summed it up and was able to get 20-plus disposals as well and almost got on the scoreboard as well. I, I actually said in the Thursday uh, podcast, Chizo, that we might see him grab it out of the ruck in the forward line and uh, whack it on the boot for a goal. He did that, but just missed the wrong side of the post so I was nearly Nostradamus there yeah you've been predicting your rookie scores in slack pretty well too we should um, should have a, a plus minus tally going to see how, how you're traveling <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've already touched on Trill Law and the potential impact that uh, the players like uh, Taylor Adams coming in uh, may be impacting him but um, stick fat, do you think, with uh, Trelaw at this stage, JB? It's it's a little bit like um, Oliver in the fact that they're getting the ball, um, they're just not converting it and using it well enough to, to generate points from it. But um, I think he should come good. Yeah, and for a player who does well to get contested possessions, he only got three here out of his 26 disposals. So I, I expect him to clean it up. But you know, we've got Braden Sire in the VFL as well who's knocking down the door. Not sure who replaces Chris Mayne, but you'd want it to be an outside runner. Otherwise, Trelaw might be seeing some more of this low contested possession, but he's too good to keep down. He will eventually go back up to that you know, top 100-plus scoring sort of thing. Yeah, and to have nine kicks and 17 handballs but only three contested possessions just shows that they were pressuring the ball carrier, which is what we've been talking about in the game. Um, so yep. it was hard for him to get his king game go. He obviously likes to burst from stoppages and, and dispose of it by foot, so um, that was uh, quite obvious. Uh, Darcy Moore, um, I didn't think he was very quick across across the turf, but halfway through the game when he, he clearly needed to run to the loo, he, he was really sprinting for that interchange, JB. We were all worried he'd done a hammy, but uh, <laughs> just running off to the loo there. Just a, a, a solid 65. Uh, he'll have good games, he'll have bad games, he'll average around you know 75 to 80, so nothing at all to worry about. 20 possessions and five marks, that's basically uh, what we can expect. Uh, on the dog side of things, the Bont is just incredible this year. Do we just have to give in and believe that Bevo has seen the light? Okay, so sneak preview to uh, the article that I wrote up yesterday. I think this year... Because of the uh, the Norton and uh, Billy Gowers, Josh Shackey, uh, there's there's so many of them now. Tory Dixon, uh, players, small players as well, like Toby McLean doing well up forward, and, and Dunkley as well getting on the scoreboard. We've never seen the Bulldogs with Bontempelli have such a well structured and young and sort of. I don't want to say dominant because obviously they're not there yet, but they're more dominant than what they've sort of shown in the past. There's no reason to put Bontepelli up forward. And when you've got players like Aaron Norton, clunky marks left, right and centre, it's just you've got to put the Bont where where he belongs, and that's in the midfield. I don't think Bevo's had the the free reign to do that so far in his tenure, and it's opened up right now. The pearly gates have just opened right up. And Bontepelli, another 120-plus score. He looks like he's going to be in that top 
eight midfielder echelon easily. Yeah, poor Gunner's going to be doing a uh, a little donate for dumb things um, soon if uh, Toby McLean and Josh Dunkley um, keep doing their their low seventies kind of super coach like. Um, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, so that that's a little bit worrying for poor Gunner. Um, Jack McRae only the one ten. Um, a lot of people putting the C and the VC on him, but something that was interesting to note: he's never cracked one ten against Collingwood. It's just uh, not really a bogey side, but he's always been. Um, kind of the 90s and the, the low 100s. So I was definitely going uh, a VC on Grundy in this game. Uh, but still really, really good to see from him. Plus 30 possessions, tw- uh, 15 contested possessions. He's been great. Uh, and Tom Liberatore, another ton. He's just basically, I would say, 20% better than I expected, JB. I was expecting 90s and low tons. But um, to be doing this so early in the season on a regular basis... He could be a little bit like Tim Kelly last year in the fact that we get to the stage where we've pretty much upgraded our side and we just don't know, you know, we have the luxury of of pushing him to like an M9 kind of position because uh, he's just going so well. You feel you don't feel obliged to trade him out like you do with other rookies. So um, certainly one to keep an eye on. Um, and Caleb Daniel, he's just doing a lot of good things in this preseason. I've seen, uh, sorry, in 2019, I've seen a lot of talk on Twitter that um, some super coaches are looking to bring him in as their first forward upgrade, JB. What do you think of that? Yeah, so he's still cheapish, and I think a lot of people are waiting for that JJ inclusion, see how that would affect him. Uh, JJ came in, had 25 disposals, actually played a really good game. Carla Daniels still racked up 30, still taking the kick-ins and uh, doing just everything that he was doing in the first few rounds. I think he's a fairly safe trading option, but uh, it's just it's difficult to trust someone breaking out like this. And depends what sort of player you are is depending on how early you'll jump on him. But I think we'll find a lot of coaches around the buys. We're looking around that forward line and seeing Caleb Daniel still averaging ninety around the ninety-five mark and, and trading him in. Yeah, sure. We jump into the next game: Geelong and GWS. Uh, getting the win away from home against Geelong down at the Cattery, uh, which they don't usually succumb to teams, especially when the opposition loses one of their star on-ballers. It's really sad to see Callum Ward go down with uh, that ACL injury, and you could see from the scenes of the bench that he knew exactly what had happened straight away. So um, the frequency of it is just becoming heartbreaking to a a lot of people that are fans of the AFL. But we'll talk about... Um, some good news. Lockie Whitfield is just a freak in 2019, JB. He's clearly going to get some attention this week against uh, against Sydney. Hewitt tagged him twice last year for scores in the 60s and the 80s. The fact that he's going so well this year and he's just giving them so much drive and so much structure and helping them, um, their system work so heavily, it's got to be obvious that the tag goes to him. Yeah, and it's just crazy. It's having a double effect as well because we're seeing Zach Williams. I'm going to jump early on him in the in the discussion point, but we see him only get 16 disposals, and it's just so obvious that they're trying to get the ball to Lockie Whitfield, and Zach Williams is just sitting so much deeper than he ever has pretty much in his career. So uh, Lockie Whitfield is dominating. GWS are taking advantage, and his use of halfback and through that midfield is just exceptional to see. If you watch a game with him, you just know exactly how special he is and, and why, they, why they're why they doing what they're doing. So um, on one hand, if you've got Lockie Whitfield, then, he, I mean, brilliant for starting him. He, he looks like he's going to be a top two defender pretty easily. We hope he gets tagged soon, those who don't have him. And those who do have Zach Williams, Chizo, uh, he's come off 
two good scores currently, uh, so I wouldn't be looking to trade him out, but I'd be keeping a keen eye to see if he can get any sort of uh, halfback rebounding role that he, he had in the past. Yeah, so um, it, it's been a little bit of an up-and-down year so far. I mean, like he's still averaging uh, 85 for the year, which is a little bit under what we'd hoped, but um, it's not drastically, you know, we need to start making changes to our side and, and upgrading him. Uh, I see a lot of people saying that they're going to try and upgrade him to Whitfield, which if you feel that way inclined, like I can't really talk your way out of it, but um, I, I feel like he's still got a little bit of room to grow and I still think somewhere in the 90s is going to be his season average. Remember, he's, he's missed a lot of football, so he's probably still building into it. Um, and Lockie's playing a lot more, you know, kind of like a center role where he's just going forward and back using his running power and the 666 to his advantage. So he's not necessarily taking, um, impacting Zach Williams that way in my perspective. I think it's just we're seeing Williams play a little bit deeper than we expected except across um, that half back line. Um, but good scores, uh, good to see Josh Kelly back uh, but, um, playing some good footy, 114. Tim Taranto, 113, showing the faith from um, the preseason picks from a few coaches. And Shane Mumford cracks the Supercoach ton uh, after not so fantastic performance in his first game back, JB. That'll be uh, helpful for those that did pick him. And Stephen Canelio, JB. What do we make of his score? Because after round one, we thought that, you know, we've missed a trick not jumping on and we were all, um, you know, just trying to get on top of it. But even with 34 disposals, 16 contested possessions and leading the game, leading the uh, the entire uh, field for clearances, the only person in double figures still could only just crack over the three figures. Yeah, it's an odd one because uh, watching the game, you never felt like he was dominating, but you always saw him sort of getting the appeal. You, oh, there's Cornelio again. But, th- you know, then sort of at the end of the game, you'd be like, oh, geez, Cornelio didn't do much. But having a look at the stats sheet, you see 34 disposals. It kind of jumps out at you as, as a surprise. And I guess that sort of reflects in your Supercoach score that, you know, 17 handballs um, didn't really didn't hit the scoreboard at all, which he's uh, he usually does. And then put out a couple of clangers and you know an average disposal efficiency as well. So, look, if I started Canelio, I'd be fairly confident that he can still go 110, 115-ish. But you know, it's been a, a testing few weeks for those, and especially if he jumped on, you know, chasing that 155 in round one, it's going to be testing probably for a, for your patience. But I think he'll be a okay. Yeah, and it was interesting to see that the Giants just simply overpowered uh, the Cats' midfielders, even at home. Um, you had the likes of Selwood with only 18 touches, Danger only 17 touches, uh, Metagola we saw 14, Tim Kelly only had 9. Um, it, it was just clear to see that their engine room, and particularly utilising that Matty DeBoer tag that we genuinely have to be worried about um, in 2019, just completely overran them. And, and Danger, is there anything that we really need to worry about that? I mean, obviously he'd uh, cracked the half century at half time, but then just as soon as they put the uh, the tag on him, he just completely shut up shop. Is that something we need to worry about other teams, you know, seeing that there is the potential to close him down and uh, obviously it, it, it contributed to helping the Giants get the, the W? 
Yeah, he, he got rattled, and you don't often see Dangerfield get rattled. He's sort of too laid back and too hard at the footy to really let that stuff uh, bother him. But you could tell as soon as the ball went to him to start the second half, he wasn't a fan and it took him so long to get into the game. He had obviously good moments because he's one of the, if not the best player in the competition. But yeah, it's it sort of, I don't think another player could have that effect on him. I think DeBoer is very good and very focused at what he does. But we've seen Taggers attempt to stop Dangerfield before and, you know, there's a reason Sell would get sat on more than anyone else in Geelong because, you know, they find Dangerfield too tough to tag so they don't bother wasting the man on him. So usually they try and hurt him uh, with an offensive player going back the other way like we saw Fife versus Dangerfield a few years ago. But I wouldn't be concerned as an owner. I think he's, he's like, next time he sees a tagger, he'll be determined to, to break that and do what he usually does, which is, you know, put up scores of 130 plus usually. Yeah, and I suppose it's almost getting to the season where, um, the point of the season where we can start thinking about making upgrades. Uh, that score of 39 from Tim Kelly, heavily contributed by a tag and a poor disposal efficiency, leaves him with a break-even of 145. Um, so he's potentially someone that in a couple of weeks' time when we're really struggling to get any more cash out of these four rookies, uh, definitely one to, to have a look at in upgrading there, JB. Uh, is there any merit on going a week early for those that... Um, you know, may have a green or a more at F3 and are just starting to bleed some points. So I'm in this exact situation, Chizo. I'm not sure if you knew this going in. I did. A very relevant question to ask me. Uh, it's tough. It's very tough with Tim Kelly because on one hand, you want to back him in to, to score those one ten plus scores that he was doing in the, the first couple of rounds. On the other hand, he's got Hawthorne next week who've just brought Daniel Howe back in. Uh, he was a late in, but... Could play again next week. Obviously, a good tagger in his own right as well. And then they play West Coast uh, with, obviously, Mark Hutchings in the team that he wanted to go to as well in the offseason. So, look, there's every chance those players go to Dangerfield and try and negate him for a second or third consecutive week. There's every chance they go to Selwood. But also, Tim Kelly just... I mean, he didn't he didn't let out a yelp at all during the whole entire game. Uh, didn't ever look like he was going to get into it. And after the first half, even when they switched to Dangerfield... He'd look like a defeated man, and if I was anyone looking at a scouting report for this team, I'd be saying Tim Kelly's someone that we can really affect, and if we don't, he he generally gets off the chain and hurts us. So I can see Kelly getting at least one tag in the next two weeks, so we could be seeing a much, much cheaper Tim Kelly. I would not be jumping early. Okay, sure. We'll jump into the next game then. Essendon and the Lions. Very, <laughs> very, very impressed with the Bombers this game, JB. You, you just wanted to talk about the Bombers, didn't you? You uh, didn't care about my Tim Kelly. I just needed to have a sip of water just to, to relax the throat, mate. It's just uh, all this talking to you is uh, obviously missing last week. Just... You know, just needed a little bit of a break. Getting um, you back into the <laughs> um, Obviously, Neil, 140. Great for those owners that did go 5 uh, to Neil, which seemed to be uh, the obvious choice. Um, but the star of the uh, the afternoon was definitely Tipper with his seven goals. He was uh, just unstoppable. Finally, the Essendon are getting their game on track. And the amount of times that Tipper just, you know, rushed up towards the centre square, had his defender come with him, done a 180, run back to goals, completely unopposed. Was It was almost looking like a training drill towards the end there. Uh, and Zera is definitely repaying the favour of those that have brought him in with 155. Um, last couple of weeks, he's been going really, really well, uh, averaging 128 as a three-round average JB. Sneakily going under the radar, only in 4% of teams right now. 
And do you know what else is going on the radar, Chizo? The fact that he's been tagged uh, two weeks prior to this one, scored a 120 uh, with his three-quarter tag last week uh, with Harms, and the week before he had a full tag from Jack Steele and scored 108. Uh, that one was in a loss as well. So a lot of knocks on this man for his ability to work through a tag, a lot of knocks on him for his ability to score well in a loss. He's done both, and now he's come out with a 155 with no tag and in a win. He's going to score big when they win, and he's going to score good enough when he they don't win and when he does get tagged. So looks like such a reliable option. Very big point of difference, only in 4% of teams as well, Chizo. I know all this off the top of my head because I just wrote about this man as well. I have big raps on him for the season. Sure. Um, on the... Brisbane side of things, there's not really much to write home about. A few coaches with Zorko not happy with his 63. Um, another thing we should say, Eric Hipwood was really, really lucky to get away with his sling tackle. He could have been uh, along for two weeks' ride with uh, Will Setterfield if he wasn't careful. Um, Alex Withered and kind of bounced back to... Also the... kicked someone in the face, uh, Eric Hipwood. Yeah, that that was... See, that's a, a, a tough one because they started comparing it to Toby Green and Toby Green... the that's trying to outlaw someone specifically doing that to, you know, block the space and stop the defender. Whereas mm-hmm. Eric Hippold was just quite literally jumping up to take a mark. No idea that person was there. And, um, you know, copping a boot to the face like that is was just... Was it Myers? I think it was Myers, just a gumbly running in trying to defend with his nose. It looked nasty. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was definitely a, a, an unfortunate situation, um, especially to see his, his head fly back. Um, like, there was so much force through that uh, that collision. But luckily... Um, a few stitches and he should be right. Uh, Alex Witherden, um, he's dropped, uh, he's basically held ground on his price from the start of, of the year. So um, he, a, a few coaches are a little bit worried that he might price um, himself out if they don't start with him. Um, but his average of 90 to start of the year isn't too bad. So uh, another one to keep an eye on because he's not getting out of hand too much. Uh, on the Essendon side of things, Zach Clark getting another game in the 60s. Uh, if you had him at R3, you'd be happy with him, but uh, I wouldn't be recommending him being traded in for his price change this week at all, JB. No, not a good bubble boy. Uh, didn't score too well last week either. So you're happy as long as he's getting games. And if you can eventually downgrade him for a bit of cash, that's great. But not someone to trade in. I've got a question for you, Chizo. Sure. Devin Smith, 58 supercoach points off the 19 disposals, even got himself six tackles. And although he didn't hit the scoreboard, he, he looked likely this game. Just 58, he's not scoring well, averaging around the 70 mark. What has happened with him? Is is this a a shield effect, or is this just a Devin Smith not playing good footy effect? No, you can still see Smith absolutely cracking in and and, and um, attacking the contest. Um, he's definitely rotating a little bit more forward than what we saw last year. And what we've said about Devin Smith in the past is that he's a low twenties possession getter. He's about 10 tackles a game when he's playing midfield. He's about a goal a game, uh, and he's usually a good disposer by foot. So what we've seen today is, uh, in, so far this season, he's spending that little bit more time forward, which is reducing his disposal numbers, which when you're a low disposal kind of impact player, that's so important. And again, not being around the ball as much, you're reducing his tackle count slightly, so he's not getting the 10, 11 tackles a game. He's getting 5, 6, 7, which again reduces points. Um, and... Just slightly uh, off target this game as well, only 52% disposal efficiency. It's also interesting to note he had a rather low time on ground at only 75, so um, 
I, I don't really read too much into Time of Ground. If you owned him, would you be too concerned? Would you be trading him out maybe? I mean, we talked about this in the preseason, the fact that you shouldn't be starting with him. Um, yeah, of so course. so nothing's really changed. But my philosophy, pretty much with holding your um, players that you consider premiums, because you only lock in that loss when you trade them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like if they if they've lost, if danger, uh, if, say you started with Tim Kelly. Tim Kelly's put up a thirty nine. He's going to lose a ton of cash. If he loses a hundred grand, whoop de doo. You're not going to trade him out and you look to train him back in at a cheaper price. Like you're only going to lose cash on him by trading him out. So with Devin Smith, I think, and a lot of these premiums like Dunkley and stuff like that, it's just my personal philosophy that I think that you do have to ride it out because um, you're locking in a loss if you're trading them at their bottom price. Like um, we've had this, there's nothing different this week compared to other weeks. Like he, he had one good game in there where he put up a, a ton, but the game was the same. The role was the same. He had uh, very similar statistics. So nothing has changed in that point. So if you weren't trading then, you know, why is it, why are you copying more punishment to get to that point? We're not learning anything new, you know, unless his role change, changes drastically and stops having midfield time altogether, that'd be something that would make me jump shit. But um, I think there's probably more pertinent things that you need to worry about beforehand, particularly with forward line rookies. So uh, I wouldn't be worrying about someone that's playing at this stage. You just got to write it out. In my opinion, does do you differ from that? Yeah, are you a little bit more aggressive and say, um, you know, just cut and run and just try and limit the, the the amount of points that you're losing? Because I see it as a um, trades are so valuable that just dumping a premium that's already lost a, a chunk of value is just a waste. Yeah, and I, I usually allow for at least four weeks to really see why my premium is scoring poorly, and I hope Smith owners have kept an eye on him and, and could sort of maybe even tell us more than what we're already saying now. But um, I think there's uh, it's just difficult because he, he's not scoring, but he's not even looking like scoring, and you know you see him with the ball, and you know he goes he goes fine like that. But like you said, low twenties in disposals each week. Uh, he's you know he's probably average around four or five tackles, but he's still getting the six tackles like what we would want, and he's only scoring fifty eight. You need him to hit the scoreboard you know three or four times to get a respectable score at this point. Maybe chalk it up to a bad game, but it all depends on your faith in him. If I was an owner and I had no faith that he'd be able to pull it back together, I'd have also no issue with trading him out. Well, I guess it it depends what you expect he's going to do for the rest of the year. I still see him as about a ninety average. Um, so I think there's more important things that you can you can worry about um, at this stage, JB. Uh, that pretty much wraps up that game. Port Adelaide and Richmond. I know you want to talk a little bit about this one, mate. Even though not. even though it didn't go your way, there were some really good performances uh, on both sides. Particularly Rocky repaying the faith after a down week last week with 140, mate. Yeah, he's absolutely back. Uh, I know he wasn't playing too well in his game. Uh, returned to Brisbane last week before he even before he got concussed. But that's against Brisbane, a team that he hasn't played at their home deck since he moved away from them. You know, maybe he was feeling a little bit of the feels, uh, a few crowd members booing him, maybe got his feelings a little bit hurt. But bounce back with a 140, uh, big test against West Coast this week. And Port do go on a, a two or three week run where uh, they're likely to lose every game. But, uh, you know, if he's going to get through that and if you've got faith in him to be a, a top, 
you know, sort of tennis midfielder, which I think he can be, then there's no reason to wait around. I'd be looking to trade him in as an upgrade target pretty much whenever it suits you. Okay. Someone that we should uh, talk about that's going under the radar, Travis Boak. I need your analysis on him because I don't think I've ever seen him with this sort of ceiling in his entire career. He's had had seasons where he's been, uh, you know, that 100-plus midfielder, sorry, that 100-plus four that we can select, but... His start to the season is just ridiculous. And to put up another 134, that brings his season average to 128. He's got a break-even of 58, and there's 13% of teams that are just riding this wave all the way. Yep, and uh, another man that I've written about as well this week, uh, career-high averages in, I think, 26 and 25 disposals. In each of those seasons, he averaged his career-high averages in Supercoach as well, with 106 and 105. Uh, this was a few years ago when he was getting that midfield time. He's back in the midfield. He's averaging 33 disposals a match, and if he can stay anywhere above the career-high of 26 that he already has, then you can expect him to average a career-high in Supercoach, which is, like I said, 106 points. So... Um, with that midfield role, that's literally the only thing you need to consider. If, if he's going to stay in that midfield, we should 100% be getting him in our teams. If you expect him to, for, for some reason, be f- thrown forward, which I, as a port supporter and a boat follower and super coach player and everything, fully expect him not to be, then you know there's no reason to avoid him any longer and we should be trading him in as soon as possible. Having said that, They've got West Coast and Hutchings this week, which might affect him. He might go to him. So maybe wait a week. <laughs> Are you worried that this is so much higher than his career average? Like it is such an outlier that surely he can't do this for the season and that by buying him in in the next fortnight, you're buying him at an inflated price. He's only priced at 560k, which is around 105 average-ish. But who's going to be bringing him in this week? Who's got Who's done enough downgrades to bring the cash in? You're going to be bringing him in in four weeks, right? Oh, sorry. Well, I could, I could bring him in this week. But the thing I'm trying to say is he's averaging 33 disposals, which is seven more than his career high. That is translating to super coach points, yeah. which is more, much more than his career high. Yeah. I don't expect him to average 33 disposals a game, but if he can hover around 28, that'll still give him around 110 average for the season, which just means he's essential to having your forward lines. That puts him in the top three or four forwards uh, quite easily. So, look, as I said earlier with Tim Kelly, as we've seen with Menegola and... You know how many other forward options there are just an absolute there's just none of them that I can trust at the moment and none of them that I want to trade in this week <laughs> and you know even even Boke is you know goes in that camp with playing Hutchings this week I'm I'm not huge on trading him in this week but you know he's the one that I trust the most at the moment that's for sure yeah I'm I'm just concerned that um, if you're not trading him in this week if you're looking at getting him in as your first upgrade in say a fortnight's time when you've done a few downgrades he's going to be 600k that's a, a, a big ask for someone you're expecting to kind of drop a little bit so um, probably not the, the value is probably gone uh, we should also talk about the rookies Ollie Wines is clearly having effect on Willem Drew uh, but just talk to us about a few of the other rookies we saw some down games uh, from Connor Rose coming back to the pack and uh, Zach Butters only putting up the 23 after looking really promising to start the year yeah, not a great game for the rookies. Uh, could not get into it. I think it was a uh, pretty much Port's forward line as a whole. If you look at the bottom five scorers, Willem Drew, Connor Rosie, uh, Justin Westhoff, Stephen Watlop, and Zach Butters all spend a heavy amount of time in that forward line, none of them scoring well at all. So uh, I think there's a little bit of correlation there. Even Robbie Gray, only the 72 points. Uh, so it just wasn't a good game for Port's forwards. 
Um, I mean, rookies, what do we expect? They're going to have bad games unless, you know, you're one of those rare rookies who just comes out the block like Sam Walsh and, you know, never takes a step wrong. But uh, this was just one of those games where they couldn't get into the game and, you know, Zach Butters now has a break-even, I think around 48. His previous lowest score before this week was around the 70 mark. So I wouldn't be rushing him out of my sides, but at the same time, I think it's, you know, if there's someone there like Sydney Stack that you can't get to any other way, uh, no one else has appreciated enough cash, maybe, then I think it's a, a fine trade to pull off this early in the season. Sure. So we should talk about Sydney Stack. He's obviously had that stellar game one. Not so much in uh, in round two, only or his second game, only 40 points. He's kind of the player uh, and kind of that role that seems relatively safe, particularly um, with Short's injury. Um, so I think that his job security is not too bad, but uh, we just don't have a proper bearing on what his general scoring potential is going to be on a long-term basis because with rookies, obviously they can you know have really good games. We've seen the likes of Rose coming out with... 120 and then 50 the next week. It's just really hard to, to get a guide um, with stack. Is there any kind of suggestion um, that you would like to make on what we can expect from you? Because I wouldn't be advocating him um, as someone to be fielding. Uh, like with Zach Butters in previous weeks, we've been you know tossing up whether we should be playing a Butters or a Constable or um, you know a Walsh or someone like that. I I don't see. A situation where I'll be considering putting, if I brought Stack in, putting him on my field, and I think that's important to talk about because there's, um, you know, people that are trading butters to Stack, you're a lot likely going to have, you know, the likes of Atkins and Gibbons on your bench as well. If you're like a lot of coaches, if you've got Stack, Gibbons, um, and Atkins on your bench, and you've got a, an out, you're almost, it's almost forcing you to make Scott a trade. As well as the fourth one, exactly right. So you could be in a situation. Um, where you're just bringing in a player that's going to be putting 40s and 50s on a regular basis onto your field. Yeah, you pretty much summed that up yourself there. Uh, a ton in the first week and then a 40 in the next week. You know, one you'd love on your field, the other you'd hate. So it's it's just impossible to predict. And I expect him to get around the 40, uh, sorry, the, the 50, 60 scores each week. And that's not something I'm too comfortable fielding. So yeah, I'd, I'd be careful in who I traded to him and making sure that he wasn't uh, someone that was on the field each week. I will jump early on someone. Jack Ross did look brilliant, Chizo. Yeah, he he just looks like you know Jack Graham part two. Like he's, he, does. he he's really does. That, I, I was having trouble telling them apart. They're just that that bull that just attacks the contest, and um, he, he definitely looks good. And uh, he, he he's got that sort of role in contrast to Sydney Stack. That's more of an outside kind of um, disposal efficiency related, whereas Jack Ross just kind of you know take the bull by the horns, just get straight into the contest and give me the ball because I want it. Yeah, it just looked amazing. Looked like he was playing game number 100, not game number one. So 25 disposals for him, five tackles. Uh, gave away three free kicks, so could have gone a bit larger. 74% time on ground as well, which, you know, for a kid, that's fine. But for someone you know, that, that's normal, you'd expect that to be a bit higher. Maybe that gets higher as he plays a few more games. Not quite sure on his job security. Uh, with Dustin Martin coming back, we'll have to see, but... He's someone on the horizon that I'm going to look to to have a decent scoring potential, as we just said, the opposite with Sydney Stack. <laughs> sure. Uh, Tom Lynch, we should mention there are a few coaches that do have him. He's obviously had a fantastic game and showing what he can do for Richmond. <sighs> <laughs> that wraps up uh, this game. I won't talk about it too much, JB, because thank, thank uh, you. Yeah, it is hurting, obviously. You can talk about this next one a lot, though. At North and Adelaide, you're happy to see the Crosstown rivals go down as well. 
Yeah, look, I, <laughs> I can't be too negative. You can't hide. Do, you, you can't hide I do that like pleasure you're getting from this. I do like Adelaide, and I especially enjoy the two players bouncing off of halfback there, Chizo. Yeah, it, it, it was... Uh, obviously, when the score's down, the whole world melted because we thought that um, a lot of our players were going to end up in about 20 points <laughs> less true. than they were. Like, it, it was it was it just um, like the, the week before when we lost scores for, like, half a day, the, the world just kind of... Um, fell apart. Uh, Brody Smith with a 104. Uh, Matt Crouch, not an overly good score uh, with 90, but he was in and around the contest. Um, and his brother, Brad Crouch, only putting up a, a 77, which is, uh, if I just bring it up here, is leaving his uh, his seasonal average at 97, which is uh, less than what we probably would have hoped for, JB. That Tom on ground, though, 65% did yeah. cop a knock to the face, uh, bled heavily from the nose, maybe broken even. Yeah, it actually straightened it on his face, I believe. So uh, he was uh, quite happy that it straightened it up. Laird returning to form, you'd be happy about that with a 106? Yeah, it did return to form. Uh, 31 disposals uh, just pretty much looked like he should off that halfback flank. Hopefully they can do that in a win, Laird. That'd be nice because then you'd be getting around the 115 mark instead of the 106 mark. But it was good. Just good to see him bounce back. And we did advise a lot of people to hold on to Brody Smith as well. 104 Supercoach points, 94 disposal efficiency. So uh, coming off a 60 in which he had about 60% disposal efficiency, when you reverse those, he tends to score very highly. Yeah, and projected just based on what he's doing uh, so far this year, uh, he should reach about the three, uh, sorry, four forty, four fifty mark. Uh, the way that he's going, which um, you know, picking him up at about three, uh, just over three hundred k, you know, certainly means uh, he's been a worthwhile selection to start the year. Todd Goldstein. Putting up 113 is definitely, uh, you know, making those coaches that started with him a little bit happier. Um, doing the the ruck work with he uh, basically by himself for once. Yes, and I uh, did match Max Gorn for the week, so I'm sure those people who made that decision in the preseason uh, breathe a sigh of relief this week. I'm not sure it'll keep up though. Interestingly, less than half the amount of hitouts that uh, Max Gorn uh, Max Gorn had, so he he was a lot more effective around the game. Obviously, playing yes. against a second game of Riley O'Brien, so um, uh, he played well again. Actually, eighty-four yeah. Supercoach points. Uh, he's had back-to-back eighties now. If Source can just announce that he's retiring, that'd be great. We could trade <laughs> Riley O'Brien in, and it'd be good R three. That that'd certainly be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be great for us. If it's <laughs> um. Obviously, uh, a lot of coaches had the C on Bailey Scott. Uh, he was out with a rest this week, GB. So it'll be interesting to see if he comes back. Um, you know, hopefully he can recover from a weekend off lounging around the house, uh, even if he was an emergency. Um, uh, but you know, definitely uh, one that we're hoping comes back to uh, generate a little bit more cash for us. Yeah, and I think uh, more importantly here, Chizo, Sean Higgins, ninety-three Supercoach points. Really put the cue in the rack after that one. This one with thirty touches and just dominant as always. If it was two thousand eighteen, you'd be uh, putting in a pledge, I believe, JB, which uh, you've certainly gone ahead and put that pledge through. Yes. Yep. I'm going to keep calling you out. Uh, we'll jump into the <laughs> next game: West Coast and Fremantle. The showdown. Big scores on either side, and uh, another player. The showdown. Yeah, sorry, the 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 derby or the derby. He's such an Easterner. <laughs> uh, David Mundy, burning those coaches that did trade him out, JB, 151. Of course, there was going to have to be someone going into the midfield uh, with the loss of Fife, and uh, David Mundy was the obvious answer. 
how typical is it of this season that he plays around 50% time on ground for round one and two, and then as soon as everyone trades him out, he, I think he scored about 108 last week and now 151. And it's just typical, isn't it? You trade out a premium, you automatically get burnt. So maybe I'll take back what I said about Devin Smith earlier. Well, this was a crazy game, JB. He's had 36 touches, 23 contested possessions, 10 clearances, which was the the, the leader for the match, and got 86% time on ground. He does what he wants, Monday. Yeah. I've got him in a keeper league if you want him, Cheezo. Uh Trent Dumont for him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no thanks. Yeah, shouts to Bark, who uh, always puts up trash trades. Uh, <laughs> Elliot Yo, 114 Supercoach. Um, a little bit underwhelming so far in 2019 uh, compared to last year, playing that uh, similar role, only averaging 88.5, uh, JB. So uh, one to keep an eye on. Um, uh, Down to 500k-ish, so getting, definitely one to keep an eye on. Getting very, very cheap. I'd hate to be uh, uh, someone that started him. Uh, Josh Rotham <laughs> yes. in his second a game, um, putting up uh, a 98, which is absolutely fantastic. So uh, obviously he was a late in, I believe, for Lewis Jetta, JB. Um, so he's got a fantastic break even of negative 82, projected to go up 70k uh, in the next week. But the the question is whether he is actually going to, um, you know, it's another one of those rookies that look tantalising but just don't have the job security that we would like to have. Um, whereas someone that seems to have decent job security is scoring poor for us with uh, Petrocelli only the 36. Um, and Dom Sheep, we should also mention, just kind of coming back to the field after his blazing start to the year with a 65. Um, he's still averaging 105 for the year, JB, but um, uh, those owners that do have him, 23% of the uh, competition, he's only appreciated 60K, so hasn't really justified that starting position just yet. Yeah, definitely hasn't justified it. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, points as well as the, the money that he's made. So I guess if you did start him, you could call it a success. If you traded him in, though, you'd be kicking yourself for sure. Uh, hopefully he bounces back, but a couple more of these scores and you'll be having to look to jump off to you know, maybe someone like Elliot Yo, who's back on the up. So just before uh, we move on in this one, I think it's important. I can't believe I've actually... Oh, there we go. Shannon Hearn. I almost lost who I was thinking about there. <laughs> Shannon Hearn, uh, 139 supercoach points, 32 disposals, averaging 30-plus disposals for the season, actually. Looks very, very primed to be in that top four or five defenders. Yeah. Under the radar always. Yeah, and in our preseason, we did that little podcast, you, me, and Pistol, about um, one premium that we wanted to start on each line that we wish we could fit in our team um, that we couldn't. And from our starting squad, I wanted to have Hearn, I wanted to have Neil, and... We, I wanted to have Monday, but we won't talk about the first two weeks. Um, <laughs> and I'm just kind of kicking myself because 111 for the year so far is uh, he's just going incredible, and he's he's still mm. really unique at only nine percent of teams. Um, he just looks like he's going Too to be unique, actually. Yeah, he's going to be uh, you know replicating his average from last year. Yep, and if he keeps getting as many disposals, which again, it's a boat situation where. Uh, it might sound obvious to people, but sometimes more disposals doesn't exactly equal much higher scores. But Hearn's one of those players who, when he actually does get more disposals, because he's so effective and so damaging with them, his scores tend to just skyrocket. And he started the season like that. He's getting around the 30 disposals per game when he usually averages around the, the 20, 22-ish mark. So if he can continue doing what he's doing, then he's someone that is absolutely essential in our team. Hopefully, 
he falls back down to earth a bit for us who don't have him geez her. Yeah, and he's uh, he's playing on from kickouts, which um, is helping him generate a, a, a few points as well. We jump into the next game, Gold Coast and Carlton, the absolute nail-biter. Uh, Carlton just getting done by Jack Bowes' snap over the shoulder. Paddy Cripps, incredible, 169. I think he's averaging 170 two or something in his last two games against uh, the Gold Coast. Clearly the uh, the best captaincy choice for the week, but you can't turn a, down a VC of Grundy if you had him. Uh, Sam Walsh, this kid is a freak, JB. 123. He's now averaging 97 for the year. He's already, already, you know, he's a, an elevated price and, oh, you know, all these experts telling us, oh, you can't start Sam Walsh because he's so elevated in price and they won't make He's already gone up 135K. He's still got a negative break-even of 35 this week. Projected to get, he's going to, in, in three price rises, he's going to go up $200,000. The negative break-even is the damning part, isn't it? If he'd gone up this amount and sort of had a break-even around 80, you'd be like, yeah, that, that's probably expected. But his break-even is negative, and he's just coming into his own. You could tell in the first couple of rounds. I mean, we said it after the first podcast, uh, Sixty, I think he had 60-odd in the first round. We said how nervous he looked, but he still got the disposals that he needed. Now he's using the ball so much better, and my God, I, I, yeah, I'm not actually quite sure what his ceiling could be this year. Obviously, he's just a rookie, so we need to temper our expectations, but there's every chance he goes around 90 for the rest of the year. Yeah, and there's every chance that he gets a rest before the buys, at which point he might be absolutely prime for just a sideways to a fallen premium like a yo or something like that. I know that's Just jumping. downgrade him to Neil by that point. <laughs> that's certainly jumping ahead, but um, it's... Uh, you know, it's looking uh, potentially going to be happening. Uh, Will Setterfield and Michael Gibbons, both with a pair of uh, 54s, just uh, chugging along in producing that cash for us, although uh, Will Setterfield will be out for a couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, with that two weeks out, he's already got a break-even uh, of 22. If there was a forward-line rookie that um, you, know, you could um, trade him to, uh, you could make the argument to go a little bit early on him, but the fact that we just have no decent options in the forward line just kind of forces you to hold him on your bench for a couple of weeks, JB, do you think? Yeah, I heard Noah Bolt is cheap. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> that didn't yeah, work. He's, he's, he's not a bolter, is he? No. Nah. Bolting away from our sides. Uh, <laughs> on the you just uh, used Suns. Pun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he dropped in money, though, Cheese Eye. Did you, did you notice that one? Who's that? Gibbons. Bolter. Oh, he- Bolter. He got 4.2k over the weekend. That's rough from his starting price of like 120k. <laughs> that is ordinary. Well, ja- yeah, it's not good. It, uh, there's 6% of teams with Jack Lacocious in there, and he's already dropped 30k from his starting price of um, 200,000. Well, 6% of teams really need to have a good hard look at themselves. They obviously don't listen to the podcast. Chris Burgess, <laughs> no. a, another 30. Another rookie that is just not going to be able to score for us. Um, he, I think we just have to, as soon as there's an option, we do need to cut and run, maybe park him um, as a bit of a swing if you do have more. Come on, Chizo. Get, get, on, get on with it. Talk about your man. I'm building up to it. It's all about it's, suspense. It's a long build-up. It's all about suspense. I'm suspense now. Look, I copped a lot, a lot <laughs> on Twitter. Is about Sam Collins' first round. And we saw glimpses of the fact that he he can play. Maybe he's a little bit nervous, JB, but he's now got a three-round average of 84, a pretty much to the decimal point score that I predicted that he should be averaging around in 2019 and um, really happily playing him on my field at this stage. Yeah, I had him on my field this week as well. I think it's very safe to 
to now run with him 98% time on ground, Chizo. That is amazing. Yeah, and he, he just showed that intercepting... Um, you know, skills that he's always had. We've always known Crow that West. he can... Yeah, it's just... It, they just... It's super coach gold, so... Um, no, that you, costs about $20 a year, dude. That's that's a whole nother okay, thing. Oh, okay, that's a that's a completely separate thing. Um, <laughs> Mrs. Cheezer handles the finances, so... Um, yeah, it, I don't actually yeah, know the not, details. Not I, sure. d- I just say sign up. Um, <laughs> he's now appreciated 100K. Uh, he's at 280K. In a couple more weeks, uh, hopefully he will have made... Uh, getting to that stage where we can kind of upgrade. The, the, the back line is certainly looking a lot better than the forward line, JB. That's going to be where all the, uh, the cash is sort of generated early doors. Oh, yeah, and that's you can see that just by probably looking at your own side. It's just, I mean, we've got Scrimshaw, who's on a lot of people's benches. Clark is, you know, some people's D6. So it's just amazing. Uh, and, you know, they're all good scorers. But then we look in the forward line, and we've got Petricelli, you know, who's an on-field option at some point. So he's scoring about 30. And, and then obviously, excuse my phone there, <laughs> uh, he's, he's scoring about 30s. And then obviously uh, we've got Parker as well, not doing what he was doing in the first couple of rounds. It is crazy how much better the defenders are than the forwards. Yeah. Um, so uh, I wouldn't be cutting and running on any of those uh, those defenders at this stage. Is that the uh, the the, uh, the post from Pistol that he's just put up? Yeah, I mean, that that guy's always messaging me, asking generally to just chat and maybe go for an autograph or something like that. But it, it, He's just put up a, a little bit of a, a sidebar here, JB. Uh, nice to see that Pistol's at the bottom of the uh, rivalry league with three wins and six losses. Oh, Team Pistol's bottom, are they? Yeah, Team JB, six wins, two losses. Team Cheezo, four wins, five Wait, losses. Wait, sorry, six, six wins, two losses? That's a good percentage. That's a good percentage. You've drafted That's... well. That's an amazing percentage, dude. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've already run away with it. I, I'm, I've actually told the lads to pick out their prizes. Already. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Cheese with the I, li- I like that. I like that he's like color coded. He's got gold, silver, and bronze. So typical spreadsheet pistol. Not surprising. Just, yeah, at all. Yeah, not surprising. Um, and that pretty much uh, wraps up a lot of the uh, the super coach relevant players. So we will jump into the final game of the round, St Kilda and Hawthorne. Pistol's not only kicking himself about rivalry league, he's kicking himself about leaving Wilkie on the bench for 112. Um, but at the end of the day, he's just been generating some great cash. Another defender that we've got to talk about. He's already up 90K, a negative break even, uh, negative 42 to, to be exact. If you've got him like uh, SC Insider does, uh, shouts to Chris. He's been, uh, you know, talking about the uh, the goodwill of Wilkie um, so far this uh, preseason. JB, you'd be happy to have him. Yeah, and another player with 98% time on ground uh, helped out with that 90% disposal efficiency, but also had an amazing uh, last quarter that got St. Kilda over the line. So, yeah, another one of those players who you expect to come in and sort of just tick along with those 50s, 60s, 70s, hope they don't get dropped. And then they pull out something like this and, and it just bumps their cash generation up for weeks and weeks. Yeah. Um, talking about cash generation or lack thereof, Matt Parker, we were worried was going to finish the day on a, a 17 or 18 score, but um, managed to uh, get back onto the field and put up a, 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 a stellar score of uh, 32. He actually had was on 33 coming into the last few minutes of the, the game, JB, and even before scaling managed to lose a point somehow. <laughs> yeah, and just 66% time on ground. Uh, was dealing with a bit of an injury there, so sat out 
most of the second quarter, uh, then returned for the third. So not an ideal situation for Matty Parker, but he's kind of stalling in cash generation, not someone I think we desperately need to trade out, but at the same time, if you've got options, if you can trade up or you know, do some sort of swing around and get Burgess into your forward line and trade down to a whore or someone like that, there's there's options. So, you know, I wouldn't begrudge someone trading out Matty Parker, although he started so well. Uh, yeah, well, he's got a season average of 64, three-round average of 56, and a break-even of 46. He's not going to lose you cash. Like, it's not... No. Even if he puts up a, a, a 30, he's not going to start um, just bleeding cash from his score. So... Um, he's probably just going to hold level. Um, so I guess at this stage, you just got to stick fat. Hopefully, you've got a, uh, um, a, a set of field that you can use to loophole uh, uh, maybe a Petrocelli and a Parker just to get the you know your best emergency score. So um, see the, uh, the, the silver lining. Uh, obviously, the silver lining, again, of our back line, we, again, a back line rookie JB is a scrimshaw. 98, really helping his cash generation, up $106,000, a break-even of negative 13. That 98 is going to be in his rolling average for a couple of weeks. Um, He's now averaging 75 for the year and someone that um, obviously goes missing in games, but I guess at this stage we uh, is another one that we can kind of justify putting on the field and we can kind of, if uh, we go through just your standard back line, I'll just bring up... um, uh, my rookies that I've got in the back line here, JB, just for argument's sake, we've got Collins, Dersma, Clark, Scrimshaw, and Hoare. Uh, we, we're starting to see some players that uh, we can put on the field over others. It looks like that Clark's going to be kind of forced onto our first emergency spot. Yeah, uh, Clark, yeah, definitely back on the bench now. Uh, although he is uh, very consistent, always scoring around that 60 mark, he doesn't really have the uh, the prowess, uh, the, the scoring prowess, should I say, that Scrimshaw... Wilkie, uh, Collins, etc., etc., have shown so far. Even Dersmo is putting up more consistently around the 70 mark. So, unfortunately, although Clark most other years would go on our field, is uh, sitting down at D5 or 6. Yeah. And uh, two good um, uh, scores from the Hawks in Sicily with 119 and Scully with 110. Good to see Scully back, um, you know, really doing that gut running that we know he can do. And uh, Wingard. What do we make of his uh, initial kind of offering? We've seen a couple games, averaging 68 at the start of the year. It's just kind of that forward role that we predicted. Yeah, starting forward uh, for the most part of this game. And yeah, I don't know what else we we could possibly expect from him. If he's playing that heavily forward role, he's just not going to get the uh, the mid the time around the ball that we we need him to to be able to score those big scores and yeah you know, he's going to put up scores around fifty hopefully he can have a bit of a run where they they do play him in the midfield and you know, that's when we'll start looking at bringing him in, into our sides and you know as as with Port Adelaide last year he started playing forward for the first half of the year and then moved into that midfield for the second half of the year and, and really dominated so not sure if they're just easing him into it and that's the plan eventually but at the moment he's just not an option. Cheese, uh, a couple of players for you. Uh, Jack Billings and Roel Marshall, both St Kilda forwards. Roel Marshall, I mean, he's just an absolute prodigy with what he's done for his first three games. But Billings as well is absolutely dominating. What are your thoughts on these guys in a so far dull forward line? Well, he's clearly, um, say, Roel Marshall has clearly got the, the role that we want, doesn't he? He's, he's getting that um, that ruck time, 28 hit-outs, um, 
for the game. Not groundbreaking going up against McAvoy, who had 40, and Jonathan uh, Segler that had 24. But he's competing, and he's kind of that... He, he really enjoys the contest. So it all kind of works in his favour because he's just kind of grinding into every contest that he goes to and it's just that weight of numbers and that time on field being the sole ruckman is going to help him score we've we've said this for a long period of time if you're the number one ruckman you're going to score points it's very very rare for a number one ruckman to go sub 80 right so yeah for sure the 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 question being how long is he going to be the number one ruckman right that that's the question that we're all asking and at this stage he's scoring well like he's he's started with um, a plus a hundred in every single game. I think he's been in the the teens every single game so far, like a hundred between a hundred and hundred and twenty. But what happens when he's no longer the number one ruckman, and how far away is that? Um, I honestly can't give you an answer on that. And you know th- that in lie therein lies the risk that I think you're going to have because as soon as he's not the number one ruckman anymore, he's just not going to be putting up these numbers. He'll probably still score well. But I can't tell you how long that's going to be for. Yeah, and we're not sure exactly if he'll hold Longer out of the team or if Longer's preferred or if maybe Ron Marshall was the plan all along. But in the meantime, he's scoring well. And, you know, if you've currently got him in your team, obviously you're laughing. But in terms of trading him in, I just feel it's so risky, as you said. You know, we just, there's such an unknown around St. Kilda this season. And, you know, it might be one of those players where the risky people keep jumping on him and people chasing points will keep jumping on him. They might be the large profiters considering he, you know, very well could string together another dozen games like this. We don't we don't exactly know, but at the same time, it's, you know, such a risk to those who think it through and it could work out being another trade used just a few weeks down the line. So for me, it's not totally worth it, but... Boy, he looks tempting. And then Jack Billings, the other one that I mentioned, 126 this week, absolutely dominated. Getting his disposals, I don't think he's gone below 28 this season. Uh, Just absolutely crazy work for him. A bit of a downhill skier, so I'd I'd personally like to wait and see for St. Kilda uh, to just see if they struggle through a few games and and how he responds to that, Chizo. Yeah, I'd like to see how he responds in like a really contested kind of team. Obviously... The Hawks don't have the most stellar midfield going around right now. Obviously lost uh, Jom before the first bounce with Daniel Howe coming in. So um, it's not kind of the midfield that they'll be versing against with Melbourne this week. So um, it'd be interesting to see how he goes with that. But uh, with his average at 101 102 to start the year, you'd be uh, laughing all the way to the bank with that because even if he doesn't end out to be a premium, you're going to be at a stage where um, he's hopefully risen above that 500, 510k threshold that um, if you do find a, a, a good um, kind of a sideways option, maybe a TK when he's dropped a bit of price, um, it, it just leaves you with plenty of options. I'd, I'd rather have options um, you know, like a lot of uh, different directions I can go with it rather than struggling to kind of figuring out that one option, which is what we have with Toby Green. I was about to say, so you'd rather Billings over Green is what you're trying to say. Yeah, pretty much <laughs> Pretty much at this stage. I'd rather be in that situation. Um, I, the last thing I do want to touch on with Marshall that I just uh, I just realised, 
we had a similar situation a few years ago, or maybe it was last year. All these Supercoach years for me just kind of blend together into one big swirl. Um, <laughs> yep. When Jesse Hogan was uh, was playing up the ground and getting like stupid amounts of midfield time, we we're like, nah, he can't, he can't keep it up, he can't keep it up. And in the end, we were right. But in the end, it was like twelve weeks until that role changed, and the people that jumped on completely obliterated us. Yeah, um, it's never never easy to say well, what is the right option. Whether we trade in Marshall, knowing that we're going to have to spend a trade later, or you know whether it's worth the risk to gain the points in the meantime, it's really impossible to say. It's something that you just have to back your gut in. If you think that he can, you know, stay as Sol Ruck, and you know, as a lot of people thought, uh, your example of Jesse Hogan would stay moving up the ground and getting midfield time. It, those who jump on him. Yeah, the prosper you don't. It's really that simple. Uh, you just have to back yourself in. I don't think there's anything we can really say about the situation that'll convince you either way. Yeah, sure. And I'm specifically not um, mentioning Seb Ross just because the gem hunter came wants us to talk about it. Um, but JB, that pretty much wraps up all the games from round four. Um, a lot of things to talk about, a few things that should kind of come to light towards the end of the week, especially when we get uh, get some teams. Hopefully we get a few new names, a few new faces to, to have on our horizon that we look at as future downgrades in, in coming weeks. Hey, mate, uh, where can the uh, the lovely listeners find us if they want to talk to us during the week? You still throw to me, even though you attack me for that time I messed up our, our handle on Supercoach, but <laughs> uh, on Twitter, actually, not Supercoach. Uh, we'll start off with yourself, Chizo. That is Chizo, spelt with a Z underscore D-R-S-C. That's his at Twitter handle. Uh, we got Pistol at Pistol underscore D-R-S-C. And myself, JB at, well, at JB underscore D-R-S-C. The main page is Dr underscore S-C. Obviously, we're all over Twitter and, uh, well, pretty much post to every single podcast platform. Whichever one you're listening to us on, Cheese, I, I think uh, I think we love hearing the comments back and, and seeing the ratings flow in. We don't really ask for ratings often or, or feedback, but uh, when they do pop through, it's it's pretty good. Yeah. So it helps do, us out as well. Yeah, do chuck us a rating if you, you feel that way inclined and enjoy the content. And uh, JB, that pretty much wraps it up. It's another long podcast. As the year goes on, they will get shorter as there's less and less to talk about. But so far, just loving it week in, week out, especially that our Supercoach teams are going well. Great to have you on, mate. Yeah, I'm glad it's wrapped up so we can start talking about Game of Thrones now. (laughs) All right, I'm going to hang up before you actually start talking about it. (laughs) Community, have a great week. We'll see you for the Lockout podcast uh, when we just kind of discuss the things that are starting to make us panic. Catch us later.